Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read selected verses from Luke chapter 15. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming to Jesus to hear Him, but the Pharisees and the experts in the law were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He told them this parable. Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had and traveled to a distant country. There he wasted his wealth with reckless living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. He went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He would have liked to fill his stomach with the carob pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, and I am dying from hunger? I will get up, go to my father, and tell him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He got up and went to his father. While he was still far away, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, hugged his son, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Then they began to celebrate. His older son was in the field. As he approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant told him, Your brother is here. Your father killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. The older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. He answered his father, Look, these many years I've been serving you, and I never disobeyed your command. But you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours arrived after wasting your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. The father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. But it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the gospel of our Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Dear fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, the Son that God sent to find and save us. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly or spiritual meaning. Jesus told this parable in particular to some people who were grumbling about the company that he kept. They saw as he welcomed what they called sinners, which were open sinners, prostitutes. They, they grumbled because he invited and he ate with tax collectors. These were the opposite of your good, upstanding, church-going folk. These were the people that you would never anticipate seeing in church, much less in heaven. And yet Jesus welcomed them. He even ate with them. At that time, table fellowship indicated the closest possible fellowship between people. And they grumbled about it. They hated him for it. And so Jesus explains what this is all about by means of a parable. He takes them on a trip to the lost and found. Actually, this parable is the third of three parables. 
And they all relate to each other. They build upon one another. In the first parable, uh, a shepherd has 100 sheep and one of them goes missing. And the shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the one. He finds it, brings it home, and he tells his neighbors and he throws a party. They celebrate. In the second parable, a woman loses a coin in her house and she turns the house upside down until she finds that coin. And then when she finds it, she calls her neighbors and her friends and says, come on over, we'll celebrate. What was lost is now found. That culminates now in this parable, where it's not a coin or a sheep that is lost, but a son. Two sons, in fact, are lost. The parable goes this way. A man had two sons. Apparently, the younger son could not wait for his dad to die. He wanted he asked him for his share of the estate. In those days, the older, oldest male son would receive a double portion of this. So, so what the father did was really split it into three parts. Two parts went to the older son. One part went to the younger son. But can you imagine that? Can you imagine if, if one of your children came to you and said, I want my inheritance now? They're really wishing for you to be dead, right? The more shocking part is that the father does it. The father gives him his share of the estate. Right there, we already have an example of grace, right? He doesn't deserve this. If this was my son, I'd say, you get out those doors right now before, I, before you don't, before you can't leave, right? Um, but the father in this parable gives him his share of the inheritance. And then the younger son does what, what many people in the situation do when they have too much money, they don't know what to do with it. He wastes the wealth, his father's wealth, with reckless living. What exactly kind of living was it? Was it prostitutes? Was it gambling? Was it alcohol? Was it a failed business venture? Who knows? Who cares? It doesn't matter. All that matters is that the wealth was gone. His father's inheritance, his share of it, was gone. To make matters worse, there was a severe famine in that land. We know how that goes, right? When it rains in life, it pours. You lose your job and your health insurance at the same time that you need surgery and your furnace breaks down and your car needs new tires. It all seems to pile up all at once. So here the, the younger son is. He's, he's homeless. He's broke. But he's not yet broken. He's still determined to live life his way. He's still determined to prove that he doesn't need his father's love he doesn't need his father's house. He definitely doesn't need his father's rules. He's still going to do it his way. And so he takes a job feeding pigs, which for a little Jewish boy is about as low as you can go. Pigs were off limits. Still today, for kosher Jews, pigs are off limits. No bacon, no pork chops for them. And yet he's feeding them. And the text says that he ached to eat some of the carob pods that the pigs were eating. He's broke, he's hungry, he's hopeless. And now finally, his independent, rebellious spirit is starting to crack, isn't it? Jesus says, he came to his senses. And then he came up with this plan. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread and I am dying from hunger? Here's his plan. I will get up, go to my father, and tell him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And off he went. Can you picture him on that road from that far off country back home, practicing this little speech in his mind, Father, I 
I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your... He's hopeless, isn't it? He tried to live life his way, on his terms, and it broke him. The world broke him. You know how that goes, right? Maybe you've been in this position before too, where you run away from your father's house. You run away from his rules and his love. You find it to be too restrictive. You try to live life on your terms. You want to find yourself in the world. And yet what often ends up happening is that you end up totally lost, totally broken. See, the devil likes to hang the world and the supposed freedom that it offers to live however you want, to hold it in front of our eyes and say, this is what you really need. This is going to bring you pleasure and happiness and joy to live life on your terms, not not according to God's rules, not according to God's commands. Live life the way you want to. And if you've ever tried that, if you've ever run away from your father's house and his rules and his love, and you've tried your hand at living life in this world, what have you realized? That this world is a cruel, cold place that will eat you up and spit you out broken just like it did with this younger son. For all of the the allure that Satan tries to, to make the world appear like, how bright and shiny he makes it appear to live life on your terms, you know, kind of like the, the proverbial Go to Sin City, go to Las Vegas, and you can, everything that happens in Vegas will stay in Vegas. You know what? A lot of people leave Vegas broke, and a lot of people leave there broken. That is what happens when you abandon your father's house and his rules and his love. That's what happened to this younger son. That's what happened to us. Maybe you know someone who's going through that situation right now. Someone who has was raised in the church, was baptized at a font like that, was confirmed, and now has said, I don't want anything to do with my father's house or his rules or his word and sacrament. Maybe you're going through a stage like that right now. Sometimes God lets us go our way. This is not a prison here. Anyone is free to go anytime you want to try your hand at life in this cold, cruel world. Sometimes God uses the world to bring us to repentance. And what we see here in this younger man is really a picture of repentance. Him crawling back on his hands and knees to his father, that's what repentance looks like. And God works repentance in many different ways. He, he worked it this morning on little Abby by, by washing her with water, word by, by cleansing her of her sins and creating in her that new operating system, that operating system that operates based on the Spirit. God works repentance in us by, by inviting us to come here and confess our sins publicly and to be absolved of them. Maybe God leads us to repentance by sending a, a friend or a family member or a pastor into our lives to say, you are walking away from God. You are living in rebellion against His will and if you keep on going down this path, the only thing that lay at the end is death and hell. If none of those work, The final step that God takes to bring someone to repentance is to declare them excommunicated outside of the church, outside of his house, outside of his love. But sometimes God just uses life 
to do it, to break us, to bring us to repentance. He just lets life in this cruel world break us, break our spirit, break our rebellious will so that we come to understand what the psalmist meant in Psalm 32. Many are the woes of the wicked. And you know that. If you've ever tried to live life on your terms, you know that. It only leads to woe. It only leads to sadness. It only leads to broken hearts and broken families and broken souls. But as harsh as it may sound that God would allow us, would allow the world to break us, He does it for a good reason. He does it to bring bring us back to Himself so that we would fall on His undeserved love, His amazing grace. And that's what we see here too, right? Undeserved love. As the sun is walking back, and he's probably just a speck on the horizon. His son, his father sees him. He must have been looking for him, right? Waiting, hoping, pleading, praying that his son would come back. And when he does, when he sees his son, he goes sprinting out there to meet him. Now, no self-respecting Jewish adult man would ever run. That's dishonorable for an adult man to run. But he runs out to meet his son and he grabs him up and he kisses him. This son that probably still smells like pig manure. The son tries to give his little speech, right? Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And, and the father will have none of it. He says, ah, enough of that. He, he orders the servants to go get the best robe to cover up his, his filthy son, to get uh, the family ring to put on his finger to show that he's part of the family again, to put sandals on his blistered feet. That's undeserved love. But that's the joy that the father has over receiving back his son who had been dead to him but was now alive, who was lost and now is found. That's the other side of repentance, a side that we sometimes misunderstand. I think we sometimes think of repentance as a negotiation with God. God, if you just forgive me this one time, I will be better. I will try harder. I will give you more in my offerings. I will serve you with my life. That is not repentance. Repentance is not a negotiation. We are not making a deal with God when we confess our sins. In fact, true repentance understands that our sins are forgiven before we even say a word. So deep is God's love for us that our sins are forgiven before we confess them at all. Every last one of them paid for by Jesus on the cross. Then we have the older son. He's still out working in the field and he hears the sound of celebration going on, the singing and the music and the dancing. And he asks one of the servants, what's what's going on here? And the servant says, well, your brother's back and your your father slaughtered the fattened calf to celebrate that his son who was dead is now alive again, who is lost is now found. And the older son is absolutely furious. He wants nothing to do with it. Even after his father goes out and pleads with him, he won't come in to celebrate. He won't come in to the party. He says this, Look, these many years I've been serving you and I never disobeyed your command, but you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours arrived after wasting your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. In other words, I'll be damned before I go in there and celebrate your love to this undeserving son of yours who wasted, squandered your property. Father loves him too much to let him off that easily, though. He says to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours, but it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and is found. It's really remarkable, isn't it? At the end of the parable, which of the sons is lost, is left out in the cold? It's not the one who who went and wasted his father's inheritance with prostitutes and gambling or whatever it was. Not the one who came home smelling like pigs, but the good, upstanding son. The one who always did what his father wanted, who was left outside of the party in the cold. And why? Why didn't the older son get to participate in the celebration? It wasn't because of his his younger brother's reckless living. It wasn't because of his father's outrageous love for his younger son. No, it was purely because of his self-righteousness. He thought, he figured that he had deserved, he had earned his father's love. Not understanding that the whole time that he lived in his father's house, even as he was working, it was his father's love that made him a member of that family. Just as, just as for Abby, Abby has done nothing to earn her parents' love. It's simply a pure gift that you give to her. Just like the father gave the older son and the younger son all everything out of pure love. If there is one reason, however, that, that many people will end up going to hell on Judgment Day and not to heaven, it is because of self-righteousness. It is because many people think they don't need God's grace. They don't need God's love. They're good enough on their own. They would never think of humbling themselves into coming here to this place and announcing in public, I am a sinner who does not deserve God's love. I do not deserve to be called his child. That self-righteousness will wind up leading a lot of people to hell. So what's this parable all about? Well, first of all, it's about the third son. Did you, did you catch the third son in there? He's the one telling the parable. Jesus. Jesus is the one who gave up all the riches, all the wealth of heaven to come down to the pig pen of this earth. However, there are big differences between Jesus and, and that younger son. Jesus didn't squander his father's inheritance. We did that. Jesus didn't take his father's wealth and all of his blessings, and waste them. We did. We were the ones who who took God's gifts of health and wealth and money and the means of grace and and wasted them, trying to live life on our terms rather than according to his will. We are the reason that Jesus had to come down to the pig pen of this earth surrounded by the slop of sin and death. We are the reason that Jesus had to be hung on a cross between two thieves and give up his life. Jesus was the one who was truly lost when his father turned his back on him and abandoned him to hell. And we see Jesus lost on the cross as we hear him crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Understand that that is the declaration we deserve. The second big difference between Jesus and the other son is that Jesus did have to earn his father's love. The father said, You have to live a perfect life. And then you have to carry the sins of the world to the cross where I'm going to stomp the heel of my wrath into you and crush you. But Jesus didn't. God the Father exalted him to the the throne that is above all thrones so at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. This parable is also about us too, right? 
Haven't we often tried to live life on our own terms, even though we were lost? Did you know that all of us were lost? Abby was lost until this morning. She was born with sin, inherited from her parents and they from theirs all the way back to Adam. She was lost, as good as dead, until God found her at that font and made her alive. He did that with each of us. But how have we said thanks to God for that? How often have we acted like that younger brother and just wasted all of the gifts that God has given us? Wasted our time. Wasted our talents. Wasted our wealth. That inheritance, that rich inheritance that God has given us and wasted it on on pleasing ourselves. On living life on our terms rather than according to our Father's will. We deserve to be thrown out of His house. And sometimes... He has allowed life to break us, hasn't He? He has forced us through the hardship of this cold, cruel world to come crawling back to Him on our hands and knees, begging, pleading, Father, I no longer deserve to be called your son or daughter. And you know what? Every time we do that, every single time, the Father forgives us. Every single time, actually, He's the one running out to find us and wrap His arms around us and cover up our filth with the righteousness that Jesus purchased for us. No matter how far gone you've been, no matter how long you've been away from your Father's house, no matter how much you have rebelled against Him and brought shame to His name, His arms, His doors are always open for you. Amazing grace indeed. In the end, this parable isn't as much about the the two sons as it is about the Father's extraordinary, I might even call it outrageous love and grace. This love that only a father could give. That is not based in what his sons did or didn't do, but rather based simply in his beating heart. You know, it's interesting, we don't hear what happened to the older son. Whether he ever came into the party to celebrate his father's outrageous love or not. And I think Jesus ends it there on purpose. I think he wants us to walk out those doors wondering, thinking, will I? Will I go in and celebrate the Father's outrageous grace to both open sinners and lifelong churchgoers? Will I enjoy how deep and wide and high my Father's love is? Will you? Amen.